Creative Coaching Podcast, where we bring together coaches, athletes, former athletes, leaders, and influencers. Everyone has a story, and my hope is that when you listen to their stories, you will be inspired and live your life to tell your story one day. Today's guest is Jason Ecker. Coach Ecker is the head coach at Oklahoma Baptist University. We talked to him today about valuing your staff, making the big time where you're at, and running a clean program. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. It's great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me on. You know, I, I uh, again, appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're a busy guy as a head coach. There's plenty of things to do. There's plenty of recruits to meet with, the incoming guys, all those type of things that you have to do uh, to prepare yourself for the upcoming season and the school year as well. Uh, so here again, Coach, thank you so much for your time. But let's go and get started. Uh, coach, how were you introduced to the game of basketball? Well, the short answer is is um, through my dad. My dad played. Uh, he was a very good high school and college player, but probably more the long story of that, um, of, you know, TV and my dad, probably the long story of how I was introduced or I would probably like to say how I fell in love with the game was probably my high school coach. We had... I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, in southwest corner of Oklahoma. And although at the time I thought it was normal and how just life was supposed to be, we had this this coach who was larger than life to a lot of us kids. Yeah. And so basketball was a very big deal in our community. We used to go to his camps. Um, his name is now on the court. His two sons went into coaching and I actually went to one of his son's Hall of Fame inductions this summer here in Oklahoma. And wow. so we had this man that was sitting in this community. He could have easily gotten into college coaching now that I got older and kind of understand coaching. Um, and so, you know, if you ran into him, like when you saw him at church or if you just saw him out, he was never out of character. Um, yeah. And it was the first time that I had ever met someone or known someone that the basketball and the coaching piece, it wasn't an act. It was truly who he was. He loved the game. His whole life and family was built around the game. And he was very well known. And he just, if he ran into people, he wanted to talk about basketball. And so, yeah. As I got older and tried to figure out where this love of the game came from, um, it certainly came from my father. My my dad is, was a businessman, but he loved sports and basketball. And so my dad, I'm one of those kids that um, was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I have two great parents, and my dad was a successful businessman. So it started there, and then obviously growing up was – such a great time on TV because you had, um, I caught the end of the magic and bird and Isaiah era, Yeah. but 
the majority of my childhood was the Michael Jordan boom. And so just watching him and watching his tapes um, that we used to get in the mail from Sports Illustrated of just watching MJ do his thing. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't fall in love with the game. Yeah. You know, that's exactly how I fell in love with the game, Coach. Like, you hit it, you nailed it right on the head. Uh, I saw it come fly with me at a Spurs basketball camp as a kid, as an eight-year-old <laughs> kid, and that yeah, was I it. That. I love that video. Yeah, that was it, yeah, man. I said, I, I, I want to do that. I don't know how I can come fly with him, but I want to fly one day. And, and uh, so, yeah, I patterned everything that I did after him. It was kind of like Kobe and LeBron have done, yeah. but just not to that extent or to that degree. Yeah, and what's so awesome now that I've gotten older and I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a place that had a bunch of racial tension. I was um, in a diverse high school. I certainly was on a diverse high school team and uh, I was not sheltered from a family standpoint. I grew up in the church and so um, I didn't grow up in an environment where I really saw or felt or understood racism because I yeah. lived in a little bit of a sheltered life. And so now looking back, um, what's so awesome about Michael Jordan, in my opinion now, the greatest thing that he did because he has all these wonderful accomplishments. But there were kids like me all across the country that I've met Um just rich um, suburban white kids who were, you know, I would wear my shorts underneath my shorts or I would wear my <laughs> wristband. You know, I was one to be like Mike. Yeah, and so yeah. um, I think more than anything, and I know a lot of people get on Jordan because he's not as outspoken politically as LeBron or Muhammad Ali and all that. But just think about that for a second, especially the listeners. Of uh, if racism is um, what we know it to be in today's world, well, in the 90s, I mean, this is a man that really crossed over from all of that. Yeah. And a lot of it was the, the boom of the game and the commercials and all the things that have been discussed and all the books and the videos that have been um, written or um, made in his regard. But I... I wanted to, I mean, I thought about Michael Jordan. There wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think about what he did or how he chewed his gum or where he <laughs> wore his little yeah. um, sleeve on his leg. And, yeah. like, I'm a white. I mean, my family's a family of golfers. And so wow. um, I'm a six-foot white guy. And so I think, <laughs> yeah. I think that speaks volumes about what he did for the community of athletics. And I yeah. think that's what I've always enjoyed about athletics is because we always have these stories in athletics about how kids from that don't have parents or they're raised by their grandmother or they don't um, have much. And so the thing that they have always loved about the sport is the fact that they can get on that court and none of that matters that they can connect or they can perform or they can produce in a way to where it doesn't matter um, how big their house that they grew up in. Yeah. And so I've always respected the Jimmy Butler stories of the world where yeah. he rose from the ashes and all that. But on the flip side of that, and 
this is self-serving in saying this, but I did not grow up like that. I grew up with this wonderful father, wonderful mother. I have the neatest brother um, that you'll ever want to meet, uh, like a first-class guy that's four years older than me, and I grew up in a very well-off home. And so what I've always loved about basketball is that basketball doesn't care about that. Like, yeah, I can yeah. go toe-to-toe with with whoever, and, like, I'm not the – I have to earn whatever it is that I get in that world. And so it's on the other end of the pendulum, but what I love about the game is you get a chance to meet, compete, um, you earn what you get, and it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor or black or white. Is that the game, from my experiences, and I don't want to speak for anybody else that's gone through different um, things, And um, but I feel like the game is pure. I feel like, for the most part, that when you get between the lines as a coach and a player, is it is what it is. And so yeah, yeah. I've always loved that about the game from this other end because I grew up the way that I did. And I, yeah. I find a lot of uh, peace in that. Yeah. You're part of something bigger than yourself. When you realize those type of things, you realize that athletics and in, in general is a, is also a healer of some of society's ills. And, uh, because it brings, it does bring people together. And I love how you said it. The game doesn't care about, you know, who has and who doesn't. Because it's a very humbling game, and if you're if you're good at it, you'll succeed. If you're not, you still have an opportunity to succeed because there's another day, there's an opportunity to get better. There's all those things, and so you know, loved. I could talk about Michael Jordan all day because he was that that was my guy, you know. And uh, so the the, the globalization, yeah, the globalization of the game as well. So there's kids in Italy and in Spain and in Uganda and somewhere you know, that were idolizing or looking up to Michael Jordan as well. And so the guy came across the the spectrum of sports, the world, everything, and really just made it about the game, you know, somewhat made it about himself because he had his silhouette logo and, and all that. But at the end of the day, you had to respect him because he worked so hard. Uh, he is the best player of all time, hands down. And that that yeah, I, that that says a lot for for a guy here again, born in Brooklyn, raised in in North Carolina, and you just say how can it, how can a kid just come up like that? I just saw the talent, I saw the drive, I saw the swag as well, I saw all of that. Yeah, and, no question. And so yeah, coach, I completely identify with what you're saying and, and had kind of the same experience. So, coach, what was your experience as a player? Well, my experience was a player. I grew up in that town with this high school coach, Cluster Harrington. And so I ended up having a very, I was a very, one of the better players in our town, um, junior high, high school, got recruited a little bit. Um, one of the schools that recruited me was Oklahoma Baptist. And so I ended up signing um, here out of high school and my legendary high school coach before my senior in high school, we had just gone to the state tournament. Um, he retired after 40 plus years in coaching. Wow. 
in the late uh, 90s there. So he retired, and so my senior year I had a new coach. And so from that point forward, I think I had seven coaches in five years, seven head coaches in five years. And so I went through this, you know, introduction into what basketball can really turn into for a lot of young people. And so I never had that experience as a young person because – you know, from the time I was five years old until my junior year in high school, I lived in the same house, the same community. This, we had one high school. We had one coach. And so I started to deal with all this uncertainty of coach and then a coach and then a transfer and then a coach and a coach. And so it really turned me off from the game. Like I was, you know, and so in my, in my mind, um, I'm a Christian and I, and I think things through in that way. Um, so in my mind, what I believe in my heart was happening is, is that the Lord knew what was ahead of me in regards to being in college coaching. And so I went through all of those things and through those experiences, I've been able to connect with a lot of different young people that have gone through similar experiences in high school or AU or junior college or college. And so I'm able to identify better um, with kids and with families through those experiences. But as I was going through it, I had no perspective. I was just, I hated it. I mean, like, yeah. when you sign to play with a coach and then that coach leaves and then you get caught in that blender of college basketball, I mean, there's nothing fun about it. Yeah. And the only way I could have risen up and made it a memorable and exciting experience is if I would have been a really good player. And I was one of those players where – when I got to college, I needed to play for a coach that as I got older in a certain program that I was kind of a program guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I never recruit kids, obviously, that are anywhere near the ability level I was. I wasn't very good. And, yeah. But, you know, when you're younger and um, I never saw the game through those eyes then, um, I certainly thought I was good. Um, it's sad, but I, uh, as I got older and have recruited all across the world and the country, I wasn't good. Um, but <laughs> the one trait that I had then that I have now is I loved it. And I, and I always thought that I was better than I was. And yeah. so, you know, I wasn't that much different from a lot of kids in that when success didn't happen for me, um, in college as much as it did when I was younger, you know, I was in my mind, I was looking for those excuses. And so the more as a coach, I can take those excuses away and put it back on the young person of, Hey, here are two things or here's four things that you are truly in control of no matter who the coach is, no matter what I do, no matter who, what I set up for practice, these are three or four things that you have complete control of, which are, you know, the things that we talk about 
in life, all of us adults, your attitude, your effort, your your work ethic, your um, the time away from the structuredness that you work on um, the game. And so um, that question I probably could go a little deeper on, but I'll, I'll spare you all the boring details <laughs> of all. Coach, I appreciate that, man. No, you said a lot of important things there. And and I love the, the fact that you would key in with your players and young people on, you know, controlling the controllables is, is the saying. And uh, really getting to the, the core of who they are. Because, you know, here again, like you talked about, uh, you were always, you always thought you were better than you were. You know, there's something to be said for that as well. Confidence is, is sometimes a... Uh, I don't know. It's it's not always the best measure of how good we are at something, uh, but it also is something that keeps us pursuing getting better in our passion and uh, self awareness as we get older. Hopefully, gets better, and then we start realizing, okay, I I need to get better. I'm not as good as I thought. Uh, now all of a sudden, at scale, I'm seeing all these other players, and now I know, yeah. Yeah, now it's a humbling experience, and so that that I, I just love the way you broke it down, Coach. It was, it was very, very uh, giving insight not just to who you are, but for us as coaches to really hear again, uh, be more self-aware. So, for yourself, Coach, was I mean, was it your dad? Was it Coach Harrington? Who who influenced you to go into coaching? Well, that question probably has a few different parts to it. Um, I would say sitting here today, you know, my whole life was kind of set up for my dad was a business guy and worked for a company, Edward Jones, who has just taken off over the last 20, 30 years. And he was kind of on the ground floor of that company. And so my whole life was kind of set up for like my brother works for that company. Now, um, I think, based on the relationship I've always had with my pops and different people in the firm. Um, that's where my life was headed. Yeah. But as I, as I started going through this college basketball nightmare of, you know, I transferred from here and went to another school and both schools were great. And all the different coaches that I had were, you know, they were good men and good people, but you know, I had a lot of turnover that went on during my coaching career. And so as I start going through it um, and disappointment starts becoming the norm from sophomore to junior to senior year in college is that I just, I didn't want to let go of the game. And I, uh, there was a man by the name of Bob Hoffman who originally was the coach that signed me at Oklahoma Baptist. And I never got to play for him because he resigned in October of my freshman year here in Shawnee to take a Division One head coaching job. So my senior year in college, I reached out to him. I hadn't talked to him in several years. I'd really looked up to him as a young person. So I wanted to get into coaching or see what that meant. And he was very welcoming and encouraging. I thought that it meant that I was going to go into coaching 
not really knowing that there's video coordinators and GAs and managers and third assistants. You know, I didn't know any of that. I just thought that you were a coach or you weren't a coach. And yeah. so he didn't persuade me to get into it, but just me always looking up to him as a basketball person, it was kind of a similar viewpoint that I had of him as I had of Coach Harrington as I always looked forward to seeing Coach Harrington and I still do to this day and so I've always felt that way about Coach Hoffman is you know you're not really going to meet a whole lot of people at school or family or friends that you grow up with that are really wanting to talk about all these small details of the game of basketball yeah. And so when you find people that are like-minded in that way, you just, you know, I, I think a, a, the silly part of it is, is that I just wanted to kind of hang out with them and he yeah. was a coach. And, and so I always read all those books growing up of, you know, it's not, it wasn't the book boom that it is now. There was only so many books like Pat Riley had a book out called the winner within um, there was only a few books of coaches that were out. And so I would always get those at the bookstore. And, um, I think I just kind of, that's just kind of the life, the, where my life kind of turned and I got some breaks that I didn't realize were breaks is that coach Hoff was down at Pan Am and, you know, my career just kind of quickly took off for no other reason other than I wanted to be around the game and I wanted to be around people that knew me. Yeah, no, Coach Hoffman is very well known in the industry. And the fact that you say, like, you know, I just wanted to be around him and people like him, that says a lot because relationships are everything in the coaching world. And when you can find those relationships that matter, like you said, like-minded, uh, you really gravitate to it, and you almost don't care what it costs to be a part of it because you want to be enthralled in it and, and immerse yourself in it. So I, I completely get that, Coach. So kind of going down the line, you've worked at a lot of different schools and how you got started, uh, whether it was a, being a video coordinator or a GA, like you, like you spoke of, what was, how valuable were those experiences? Well, at the beginning of it, you know, I didn't know what coaching was. I just, I knew who Pat Riley was. I knew who, you know, Phil Jackson was. I knew who Coach K or Dean Smith. But I didn't really know the undercurrent of coaching, like assistant coaches and managers, and that there were all these activities that needed to be done for you to have a team. And so at the very beginning of my experience, you know, like, like I communicated earlier is that I grew up in a home where, you know, we, we got to do a lot. We took, yeah. you know, we got to go to Disney and we got to go to a, an NBA game and um, we got to play golf. You know, I grew up in a home where, you know, we got to eat really nice food and all that stuff. So, and I had a dad who worked 
and was very successful. And then a mom who stayed at home and took care of um, that side of our family. And so my introduction to college basketball really it was more of a life thing in that being a manager or being an assistant coach or being a video coordinator from the men that I've worked for. And I've worked for the only men that I've worked for in the industry are older veteran coaches who all have been in it a long years, yeah. a lot of years. And so really they were always coaching the team and not to discredit any of us that have been on staff, with all of these men, with Coach Sampson or Coach Lair or Coach McKay or Coach Hoff. But all the rest of us were just trying to help just get everything ready for practice and throw in our two cents here and there, is that my introduction to the game was just learning how to do life things that I was that I bypassed being as privileged as I as I was of getting the bus ready for a trip or getting the videotapes or learning how to film a game or the laundry or, uh, you know, I would say one of the biggest jobs that I had those first two years at OU and Pan Am was just wiping out sweat and giving out water. And so at the very, very beginning of it, you know, I kind of thought that it was, beneath me you know probably that first couple months yeah at texas pan am because you know when you go as a kid that grew up like i did i mean you're a player 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 now you're handing out water and video and they you know and so at the very beginning i was like you know this isn't coaching and so coach hoffman you used to always have this thing and he still probably says it um but you know, if you're getting power aids out of the back of his truck or you're getting going to the screenshot, the screen print place to get T-shirts for the players, you know, he used to always say, you know, that's good coaching. And so he would always kind of say it in a joking way, but the message that I finally took away from it is, is I looked up to him and I admired him. And so he was just saying that all of this is coaching. Like, yeah, yeah getting into the gym and calling some plays or coming up with a game plan, you know, I've kind of gotten to that um, and had those experiences, the ups and downs of the execution of the game and the practices the last several years. When all the rest of my career has been doing all the other stuff and recruiting is one of the most thankless jobs that you can have as an assistant coach. Um, because 95% of the things that you work on, the people you go see, the people you write, the people you call, the people that you message, the players that you find out about, the um, the coaches and the, the media people that have seen people, 95% or more of that, it doesn't transpire into that young person coming to the school that you're representing. It's a bunch of work that doesn't materialize. But that last 5% ends up defining whether or not you can keep a job or hold a job or your desire to have a job in in the Division One level because that's a big part of the job. But the men that I've worked for, you know, and what has been beneficial to me is is, is, it's not like I'm some 
you know, legendary recruiter who I'm not Kenny Payne at Kentucky that makes a million a year and yeah. is buddies with all the Nike people and getting all the money funneled everywhere. Like, that's not me. And so the benefit that I've had from Coach Hanson to Coach Lair to Coach Hoff to Coach McKay is that they value everything around recruiting. They value you as a recruiter, but they also value you as an instructor, as a worker, as your character. Like, they value everything. They don't just hire them for, oh, well, he can get me this player. And so I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I'm not um, one of those guys in our industry that's just in charge of recruiting and, you know, the majority of our business cheats. And so um, I'm proud that I come from those men because those men are about the right things, no matter what has ever been said or written about those four men um, in the media. Those four men are about hard work, are about loyalty, and they're about things that are much bigger than the winning. And they've all won plenty. Like Coach Sampson won, um, I don't know, 35 games last year. And so, but a few years ago, Coach Hoffman was the guy winning 30 games. And I think Coach Sampson won seven or eight games, maybe his first year at Houston. And then Coach McKay took uh, Liberty to the NCAA tournament last year. And he's always been successful. And Coach Lair has taken... I think two teams to the NCAA tournament at Colorado State. We went at Liberty. And so I'm proud of the the family and the and the heritage that I come from. Obviously, in my real life, I have a wonderful family. But I'm proud of the men that I've worked for because they're about the right things. And so oh. it always kicks me off uh, about talking about our business because I don't respect our profession at all. Um, I think it's a, I, I don't respect it. I respect some of the men and those four men that I worked for. I've been one of the lucky ones. I haven't worked for, you know, I mean, you see it this week, you saw it this summer. You see, I mean, we, we've all known it's been going on ever since we've been in the business is it's a joke. I mean, and that's what always has given us a little bit of our edge as coaching staffs is, we know that you guys are cheating. We know that you're paying. We like, it came out. We lost to Auburn a few years ago at the buzzer. They hit this um, lucky shot um, that they shouldn't have hit um, on right in front of their bench. Um, we, we had them beat with one second to go. They throw the ball in and they launched this shot, but we outplayed them the whole game. And so, you know, Coach Hoffman is, it's, very well documented. He's beaten tons of Power Five teams over the years at Mercer. Yeah, you know the Duke win obviously is the one that gets the most publicity, but we beat a lot of teams, and you know Alabama, and um, we lost to Texas at the buzzer. We beat Ole Miss and Seton Hall and Florida State. And the list goes on and on. And so a couple years later, that very day. Chuck Person is sitting in the stands. Um, there was a meeting that happened at the arena two hours before tip-off of the Mercer game. This got reported on ESPN.com. And the story was not about Mercer, but it was just detailing 
the, the cheating that was going on, that they had a meeting with one of the parents of the kids and they were, you know, fixing some financial. And so we always knew all that stuff was going on. And so that's, that would give us a thrill. And so we root for programs like that. That's why Virginia winning the whole thing this year is both awesome and hilarious at the same time. You got all these cheaters out there, and Tony Bennett and his staff have not cheated for one of those kids. They haven't broken any rules, and I know that firsthand, and they won the whole thing. Gotcha. And so there's only a few programs out there that, whether they blatantly cheat or they white-collar cheat, um, like a lot of the Nike and Adidas, where it's the programs that, are not going to get taken down, but there's money getting exchanged all the time. Um, and we saw it. I'm sure you've seen it this week, but um, the coaching profession is really not that, not really that respected within our own community, but there are some real gems in there like a Bob Hoffman, like a Richie McKay um, that are about the right things. Yeah. No. So you're talking, you're talking about, Guys that have character, like you said earlier about Coach Harrington, 24 hours a day. Uh, guys who are the same person at all times uh, have integrity, meaning they do the right thing when nobody's watching. They, they do it when everybody's watching. I mean, they're always doing the right things. Therefore, they can sleep better at night. And, and I think that's every coach's uh, goal is to, you know, aside from all the stress of, like you talked about, recruiting, and, and in big games and preparation, uh, to be able to sleep good at night knowing that you've done what you needed to do in a manner that if it had to be, you know, chronicled uh, via whatever, uh, you could see that it's a clean program, you're doing everything the right way. So I completely hear what you're saying, Coach, and I, and I can tell through, through your, your tone and your voice that you're fired up about that. So, I mean, those are the things that I think as coaches – we, we, you know, we do get fired up about, you know, how, how people are doing what they're doing. Ethics, you know, I've always told people in working with young people, as long as you don't do anything unethical, immoral, or illegal, you, you're, you're pretty much on track. Uh, even if you don't even know what you're doing to, a, to an extent, just stay away from that and, and uh, you'll learn and you'll grow. So, yeah, I, I completely hear what you're saying. So, Coach, getting, getting to what you do there at Oklahoma Baptist, uh, since you're so familiar with it and your dad uh, being, you know, inducted to their Hall of Fame and, and who he is and, and was, uh, how does coaching in that community that you've known so well bring a certain degree of pride and joy? Well, every job that I've ever had is whenever I've had purpose inside of my job, whenever I've conjured up a, a very – a specific reason why the job means more than just trying to win a game or try try to win a championship. That's always carried me and got me up in the morning and, and given me a bigger platform in my own mind to pursue greatness from our program. And I certainly had that at Liberty, um, reuniting with Coach Hoffman at Mercer, um, I had that, and I have that in spades at Oklahoma Baptist. I, my dad won a national championship here. Uh, I signed here out of high school with Coach Hoffman. 
Um, I grew up coming to these camps. And, you know, we have such a strong lineage of, you know, phenomenal players that have played at the school. And so I've been away from Oklahoma for 15 years, being on the East Coast. Um, but I'm an Oklahoma kid. Um, I believe in the school. And so I need this school um, way more than it will ever need me. Well, um, I hope that it. I do a good job with the basketball program. But the Christian community that exists around, in and around OBU, you know, they minister to me all the time because, you know, like the ups and downs of life, my faith is really what has kept me going, has kept me afloat, has kept me alive, is the Lord um, in my life. And so I have a ton of pride um, in this school, in the basketball program. And so I say it all the time is that we want to win and we want to win big. But there's a certain way that I want us to go about our business. There were a few games last year where – we started to do the winning part pretty good. We got on a little bit of a run there in the middle of the season, but there were small things that were going on that I'm not going to feel satisfied. I'm not going to feel at peace with being the coach at OBU unless we're winning and we're winning in a way that represents OBU at the full capacity. And we had yeah. a great group of kids and, they, I mean, really good kids, but like, I want it to be for the right reasons and I want it to look a certain way and I want us to represent OBU because the fabric of OBU across Oklahoma and in and around the U.S. is people are proud of this place. I mean, this, I was in a faculty um, meeting yesterday. This is a hundred, 100, 110 years of Oklahoma Baptist University. Wow. So the, the donors and the, the long time, uh, graduates and just all the people, I mean, 110 years of a school. I mean, That's the big. people that are out there that I've heard from this past year, I mean, I heard from at least I don't know, between three and 5,000 people last year that are just like, hey, coach, this is so-and-so. I went to OBU. I'm proud of OBU. I wanted to wish you well or good job last night or hang in there, coach, um, praying for you guys. And so our players haven't fully seen that yet because, you know, as the year went on, we started to get more fans to come into the building and, and get some of the crowd from a fan experience that we wanted. But just the amount of people that just have an investment in OBU, um, it's deep. And at the core of OBU supporters is the common bond that links everyone to OBU athletics and music and nursing. And a lot of, we got a lot of good stuff going on, but at the core of it is, all of us have a relationship with the Lord. Yeah. And so that's that's what links OBU people together. And so knowing that and and feeling very convicted about that is I know that not every 
kid that we have is going to be on fire for the Lord or um, passionately pursuing Christ every minute that they play for us here at OBU. Just like I'm not always in that place myself. I get off track um, and I'm almost 40 years old. And so, but I do want it to be about that. I yeah. want it. I want the kids to um, learn something like when it's over, whatever the scoreboard says, whatever the conference record has, is I want them to learn something way bigger than the stuff that we taught them with basketball. And so just trying to um, figure all that out as a first-time head coach last year was um, exhilarating and humiliating and um, up and down the pendulum of emotions of that we all go through as coaches. But I, I feel like I'd, I'd take it a little bit more on the chin with all of that because I'm so proud of our OBU people that are out in the world. I mean, we've got people that, I mean, they've done amazing things with their life. And so I want our basketball program to get to a point where, whether it's me being the voice or our athletic director to where we can begin to, to remind and retell and to um, just talk about our graduates, our alumni, and our school because it's one of those places that, you know, I mean, I, I, I there's not a whole lot of places that I would rather be in the entire country than right here at OBU. And so every coach will say that, but when you have that faith component to a school and it, it's, it's a part of your family and it's a part of your coaching tree, it's a strong pull in your heart. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... You know, like you talked about of like-mindedness, and that's something here again. That's you, you can't get more like-minded than everybody following after one ultimate goal, and that's to live their life the right way. And you know, I always feel you're, I feel like you're talking about setting goals for for your program, for yourself, for the for the, that the student body. There, there's been a legacy there already set for 110 years. I mean, goodness. So. It's like living up to those values, living up to those standards is something that's really important and almost paramount to everybody there. Uh, so, yeah, setting goals that you're willing to accomplish, that means everything. So, uh, so yeah, Coach, I, I, can, I, can, I can hear the pride in your voice in that as well. So, you know, here again, we talk about all the time on this podcast about feedback and, or criticism. Uh, how do you process the, either of the two? Well... Having been fired before and having um, a well-chronicled public um, fall from grace, as you will, yeah, um, I've been through the the self-esteem parts of coaching, and I've I've worked for these four men that they've been the national coach of the year or the athletes in action Barnabas Award winner. They and then they've also been guys that have gotten fired and or told um that their services were no longer needed and so i've been i have this reservoir of wisdom and then i also have my own little experiences of everyone's communicating with me everyone's keeping in touch with me and then at liberty i get fired and um on my own on my own accord it was my mistake um away from the court and so I take I take criticism tough from the people that I value, um, 
their opinion, and that's not very many people when it comes to coaching. If it were one of my mentors that told me that I, that I did a bad job, I would really that would they've never said that to me. But if they were to say that to me, or my dad um, or my wife were to tell me that they were disappointed in me, and my boss um, Robert Davenport. Um, who was the associate head coach down there at Texas Pan American when I first started in coaching, if he told me that he were disappointed and how it was, I mean, I would take those select people, their criticism, I would take very hard and would make the necessary changes. But as far as criticism from anywhere else, I don't care. And so um, gotcha. our parents, our players, um, and then a select few people in my life. But if it's criti- if you're talking about criticism from anything other than that small group, I I probably should care more. But I don't give a rip about any of that. Wow, Coach, man, you you are you're on fire, and, and I hear exactly what you're saying because at the end of the day, the people that kind of determine our success in, in all reality are the people that we look eye to eye with in our home and our loved ones Uh, because to me how i uh, gauge success is what are the people in my house and my family members saying about me Uh, what everybody else says about me uh yeah if there's some truth to it i will take it i'll take the tone out of their their wild voice coming at me i'll i'll take to heart anything that i that confirms to me what i already know should be fixed or maybe i feel i should so I completely hear what you're saying and know exactly where you're coming from, Coach. So we talk about legacy all the time, uh, and we talk about that because I think if you have children, you know those are your living trophies, like the way uh, Coach Sutton terms it. You talk about uh, the players that you impact. That's a legacy. You talk about all those type of uh, relational things and the impact you have. I like legacy because it helps me to kind of see a future for my life. And, and there's times where you can't see one because of whatever given situations you've been through in life. But as coaches and, as, and for yourself, coach, what do you think or how do you see your legacy playing out and what would you want people to say about you at the end of your career? Um, that's a question that I've never really thought anything of I don't think I'm one of those type of coaches that will I don't think legacy will ever apply um, to anything that I ever do Um, but if something um, that's a tough question I, I would say and hopefully we don't have to answer this question for another 40 or 50 years when I get to stay in coaching. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But um, I would say just that I helped uh, some young people out along the way. Um, I think my, I think what I'll be most known for in the small circles that I'm in is that I got to coach, you know, some kids and that really carried us, our teams and, carried me as a coach um and hid my deficiencies but i don't think i'm someone that legacy i don't i don't i just i don't 
I don't think that applies to me. Yeah, no, I, I hear. So I, I, you know, I get where you're coming from, Coach. Yeah, yeah, I hear where you're coming from. Hope, I just hope. I just hope they invite me back after this year uh, to coach <laughs> the season next year. <laughs> yeah, no, it really, it really. I asked that question because this is my belief. My belief is that we build a legacy whether we want to or not. I mean, people are going to remember us for whatever reason, and I get where you're coming from, Coach. You're saying it's not about me. Uh, I am just I'm here doing my job, uh, doing what God's called me to do. And anything above that, you know, it's icing on the cake. And so I'm not going to consider it, especially at the point where you feel you're at. Like, I still got 40, 50 more years left. So here again, Coach, I can, you know, it's not one of those things where it's like, you're supposed to answer my question, Coach. Come on, answer it. I ask everybody. Uh, you know, the, uh, I, I hear the you. Thing, the, one thing that I, the one thing that I will say for uh, – for any coach or young coach or middle-aged coach that's listening to your podcast, the, the, the one thing that I would say that I am very passionate about is at a very young age, I got a graduate assistance job at the University of Oklahoma. Um, we had, they had just come off a Final Four birth. We were on ESPN probably. That was before all the ESPN channels. I had always grown up watching big-time college basketball. We played Duke in the Garden, played UConn at home. Um, we played – we went in the Great Alaska Shootout and played Nate Robinson and Washington. Is that here's, here's the thing that God allowed me to see at a very young age and that I want, want to communicate to any coach that's listening is anything that you think is going on at the highest levels – that you're not getting to experience at whatever job you're at, it's a trick that the devil plays on us, and it's not real. Is that being introduced to that at a young at a young age? I'm so glad that I got to work and see uh, Kelvin Sanson up close and personal, and work with Ray McCallum and Bob Hoffman and, and Josh Crock and different people, Sherry Cole. But those people that say the big time is where you're at. Make the big time where you're at. I've told our players in a true way, in an honest way, before every one of our scrimmages, before every one of our games, I've been at that level, and I've seen it, and it's great, and the money is really good. But there's – I mean, when we were at Arkansas Tech or we're about to play at home against Southern Nazarene or play Washburn or whoever, there's nowhere in the world that I would rather be than right here in Shawnee, Oklahoma, with the with our players here at OBU. And I have always felt that way at every job I've been at, at Mercer, at Liberty. And so, you know, Nick Nurse um, said it best after they won the championship this year at the Raptors is they asked him a question about his coaching journey. And the men that I've worked for have always been this way, too. Is that he said, you know, every job that I've had, I was excited about and I loved. And he was, I mean, he was like an assistant semi-pro uh, league coach here in, like, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, with, like, the Oklahoma City, Oklahoma Storm at one point, and the Rio Ground. Rio Grande Valley coach and like yeah, yeah 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 and so like the game the people inside the game if you're one of those people that is not 
seen basketball at the highest levels and had Frank Machilla and, uh, you know, Andy Katz and all these people. And I've had the privilege to have all those people around, you know, at the different programs I'm at. It doesn't mean anything. And so the, the joy in the game is the kids that you're around, the school that you represent, and the whole ESPN and the salary and all of that, and I, the majority of the people that are listening to this are much, much more mature and smarter than me. But for those in their mind that are wondering if they could only get to that, they would be happy. It's the biggest farce in our industry is that it's just not true. And so I was able to get introduced to big-time college basketball at 24 years old and got to see everything in and around it. And there's nothing wrong with it. I'm all for it. But, I mean, I, I, I would rather be here. And so I say that with a pure and honest heart. And so for those young people that are wanting to climb the ladder, I get that. Um, but instead of climbing the ladder of the industry, um, we always really press forward, and we're trying to cr- climb that ladder with our team, with our players, with our staff, where we're at right now. Like, I didn't inquire about one job, one contact. I mean, there's – and there's, you know, I'm not here because I'm making a million dollars a year. So yeah. um, I would I would throw out that encouragement as me and you finish up with this podcast, and it's sincere, and it's not – I'm not coming from a place of – you know, I'm not at University of Oklahoma, but if Long Kruger called me right now and said, "Hey, an assistant left, and we'll pay you 250 grand," I'm not going. I'm going to be right here doing what we're doing because I'm invested in it, and I. This is where God has me right now. And gotcha. so, yeah. Um, yeah, I I hope that uh, I hope there's at least one person out there that that's an encouragement to because that would make. Uh, this worth it for me and you to spend this time doing this coach i thank you for your time thank you for your perspective is this is one of the more fiery podcasts i think i've ever had and uh and, and here again man i mean i bring on guests for whatever their perspective is and i'm not here to put a uh, i'm, I'm not going to edit this by any means believe me and uh and i'm just so thankful for you know your fieriness and your your perspective, your opinion, and uh, you know because it's yours. You are who you are, and uh, and I love that about people in general. So, coach, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing, and and good luck to you the rest of the rest of the way. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for what you're doing uh, in the coaching community. And uh, I look forward to keeping in touch with you, Mike. Likewise. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coaching Podcast. You can find us at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, and you can even follow us on Twitter at Creative Coach 47. Thank you.